نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يذلل فلا حادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. <coughs> uh, let us begin with a quick review of the points which we covered last week uh, from Al-Aqidah Tahawiyyah or the explanation, the Sharh of Al-Aqidah Tahawiyyah by Imam Abu Ja'far Tahawi rahimahullah which he mentioned in point number 82 وَنُؤْمِنُوا بِالْبَعْثِ وَجَزَاءِ الْأَعْمَالِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالْعَرْضِ وَالْحِسَابِ وَقِرَاعَةِ الْكِتَابِ وَالثَّوَابِ وَالْعِقَابِ وَالصِّرَاتِ وَالْمِزَانِ That we, the Muslims, believe in al-ba'ath, the resurrection of the dead, as well as Jazal Amal, the reward for one's deeds on the day of resurrection, uh, also the open display of one's deeds, that people's deeds would be presented and they would be called to account and their records would be read and they would be rewarded or punished. And also, Sirat, the bridge that the people would have to cross over in order to enter into paradise, from which those would fall whom Allah decreed that they would fall due to their deeds and to the hellfire to be punished even from amongst the Muslims who may be punished for some time and then released and from amongst the Kafirs and the Mushriks who will be eternally in the hellfire never to be released and the Nizan, the scales for weighing the deeds on the day of judgment uh, we discussed each of these points briefly and obviously uh, the importance of these points require a much, much lengthy discussion but basically we mentioned some of the verses from Quran that are related to these points or that mention them and prove that the Muslims are required to believe in all of them for more detailed discussion of these points you might refer to the Usul Sunnah the foundations of the Sunnah by Al-Imam Ahmed and the lectures concerning that book Usul Sunnah in which we discussed each of these points in detail uh, in point number 83, Imam Tahawi says, وَالْجَنَّةُ وَالنَّارُ مَخْلُوقَتَانِ That the paradise and the hellfire are two created uh, entities that exist now. لَا تَفْنَيَانِ أَبَدًا وَلَا تَبِيدَانِ And that these two uh, entities, the paradise and the hellfire, will never perish, nor will they ever come to an end. فَإِنَّ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى خَلَقَ الْجَنَّةَ وَالنَّارِ قَبْلَ الْخَلْقِ Verily Allah, the Most High, has created the paradise and the hellfire before He created the creation. 
وَخَلَقَ لَهُمَا أَهْلًا And he created for each of these places the hellfire and the paradise the people who would deserve to be in them فَمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْهُمْ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ فَضْلًا مِنْهُ So whoever he willed from amongst the people would be entered into the paradise by Allah's bounty, his favor وَمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْهُمْ إِلَى النَّارِ عَدْلًا مِنْهُ And whoever he willed from amongst the people would be entered into the hellfire justly, out of his justice due to their own actions and their deeds وَكُدْلٌ يَعْمَلُ لِمَا قَدْ فُرِغَ لَهُ وَصَائِرٌ إِلَى مَا خُلِقَ لَهُ And everyone will do the deeds in accordance with what he has been destined for, what has been written for him and everyone is moving and during their existence in this world they are moving towards whatever destination that person was created for or whichever one of those places was created for him here we mentioned uh, the fact that the paradise and the hellfire are existing entities that exist now that the paradise is the place of the believers, the righteous, those who fear Allah and obey Him and the hellfire, those who disobey the disbelievers, the mushrik pagans as well as the disobedience from amongst the believers who would be entered into the fire for some time as Allah willed and then they would out of Allah's mercy be taken out either by Allah's mercy or by and indirectly Allah's mercy through the intercession of those whom Allah would allow to intercede we also said that uh, the hellfire and the paradise would exist forever that they would never end and even though there is some difference of opinion amongst the scholars of the Ahl Sunnah concerning this the correct opinion uh, as يعني, is indicated in some of the ayats of Quran and Hadith of the Prophet وسلم, is that the hellfire uh, that the disbelievers and the pagans would be in is eternal, it would never end, they would never come out of it as for the fire that the Muslims, the believers would be put in the fire that the believers would be put in for their acts of disobedience that fire would not be eternal and they would be taken out of the fire and allowed to enter the paradise when Allah wills so also in point number 84 Imam Kahawi said وَالْخَيْرُ وَالشَّرُ مُقَدَّرَانِ عَلَى الْعِبَادِ that al-khayr good and al-shar evil have both been decreed they have been written, ordained for the people good and evil would be a trial for the people to test them to see which of them is best in conduct uh, and we said concerning this that uh, the ayats in the Quran indicate that good is from Allah and that evil is the result of what our own hands have done, our own actions and deeds but in reference to the qadr or the divine decree everything is from Allah, Allah has, Allah has decreed everything if anything unfortunate, calamity, disaster, sickness, harm, evil, whatever happens to us we know that it is by Allah's decree nothing is outside of Allah's decree though whatever happens to us of bad then it is from, it is the result of our own doings and perhaps it may be also a mercy from Allah uh, out of his mercy he might allow some uh, harm to befall us as a means of eliminating some of our sins so that we will not be accountable for those sins on Yom Qiyam also the last point we mentioned point number 85 the statement of Imam Tahawi وَالْإِسْتَطَعَةُ الَّتِي يَجِبُ بِهَا الْفِعْلِ مِنْ نَحْوِ التَّوْفِيقِ الَّذِي لَا يُوسَفُ الْمَخْلُوقِ بِهِ تَكُونُ مَعَ الْفِعْلِ Yani that al-istata'ah, the ability or capability of doing something is of two types. The one, the istata'ah, uh, which assures the occurrence of an action such as the tawfiq or the guarantee of success in any matter. 
which is not a characteristic of the created beings, but it is exclusive to Allah. Allah is the only one who can guarantee that something will happen. This is the ta'a which we usually refer to as tawfiq or the guarantee of success that comes from Allah. This is the ta'a only occurs at the time of performing the action. Yani the person doesn't have the ability to guarantee that they can do what they want to do. They may have the physical ability or the material means, but they cannot guarantee that they will actually be able to enact or they will be able to fulfill that action that they desire. Uh, because that type of ability or istata'ah is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He only gives it to the person at the time that they do the action or He withholds it from them if He does not decree or will that that action should take place. Then Al-Imam Tahawi says the other type of istata'ah فَأَمَّا الْإِسْتِطَاعَةُ مِنْ جِهَةِ الْسِحَّةِ وَالْوُسْعَةِ وَالْتَمْكِينِ وَالسَّلَامَةِ الْآلَاتِ فَهِيَ قَبْلَ الْفِعْلِ as for the other type of ability or capability or capacity to do something which refers to good health or strength or control or having operative limbs or instruments or tools etc. This ability to do something from the material worldly perspective, this one is possessed by the person before the action. And before they attempt to do it, they have this certain ability from the worldly perspective or material perspective to do something. And then when they attempt to do it, if they, are in a, if they are able to do it, if they are actually uh, able to complete this action, then we say that that ability, the success in being able to do it, this is the tawfiq from Allah. But the other one, the physical ability or material ability, this the person possessed before the action. Then Imam Tawi says that this type of ability, the second one that the human being has before doing the action, وَبِهَا يَتَعَلَّقُ Yani, that it is this type of istata'a or capacity or capability which is related or connected to the dictates of the sharia. Yani, the laws concerning responsibility to fulfill commands or refrain from prohibitions. Yani, the responsibility that the human being has when Allah orders him to do something or prohibits him from doing something, their ability to fulfill those commands or refrain from those prohibitions this is the ability that the human being has before doing an action and, and due to the fact that they have this ability, they are responsible. If they don't use it to fulfill Allah's commands, then they are responsible. And if they use it outside of what is pleasing to Allah, yeah, I need to disobey Allah's commands or to violate the laws of Allah, then they are responsible for that violation. This is the ability that the human being is accountable due to it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Yeah, due to the, the ability that he has present with him before any action, if he uses it properly, he is rewarded, and if he uses it improperly, then he is punished, or Allah may forgive him if he wills. Here Imam Tahawi says, this is in reference to the saying of Allah, This is in Surah Baqarah chapter 2 verse 287, that uh, it is like, this is mentioned in the saying of Allah, Allah does not charge anyone with a responsibility except that it be within the person's capability to fulfill it. Yani Allah doesn't order us to do something that we don't have the ability to do. If we didn't have the ability to do it, and He ordered us to do it, then it would be unjust for Him to punish us when we didn't fulfill something that we had no capability to fulfill. But since we have the ability to do it, if He orders us to do something and we don't use that power or that ability to obey Allah's commands, then He holds us accountable for it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. This is basically what we discussed last week with some I mean, further details from some of the scholars. Uh, tonight, we'd like to go on to the following points. Well, Imam Tahawi mentioned uh, a very important 
point that the groups from the Muslim Ummah differed about and deviated due to it, due to misunderstanding the actions of the human being. Are the actions of the human being their own, uh, are they accountable for their own actions or, or are they free of accountability because whatever they do they are forced to do it. There were two groups from the Muslims primarily who deviated concerning this point. Those who said that the human being has absolute power to do whatever he wills. And even if it's contrary to what Allah wills, the human being can do whatever he wants to and Allah has no control over him. These are the Qadariya who said the human being has absolute will and power to do whatever he wills. Outside of Allah's will. And the other group, the Jabariya, they said the human being has no power to do what he wants to do. That he only does what Allah forces him to do against, yani without him having any decision in the matter. And both of these extremes are wrong. The human being does not have absolute will. Nor is he without any will. He has some will. But it's limited and it's subject to the will of Allah. In any case, concerning this point, Imam Tahawi says, وَأَفْعَالُ الْعِبَادِ خَلْقُ اللَّهِ That the actions of the people, the actions of the people are, the cre- are created by Allah. They are the creation of Allah. The actions of the human being are created by Allah. It's part of Allah's creation. While at the same time, وَقَسْبٌ مِنَ الْعِبَادِ And at the same time, the actions of the human being are qasbun or earnings of themselves. Yeah, and it is the result of their own actions. This, if we uh, look at it on the surface, may appear to be a contradiction. How can the actions of the human being be created by Allah, and at the same time, the earnings of the human being, he is also responsible for them. And uh, this is due to this yeah, and seeming or apparent contradiction, the, some of the people of the past deviated concerning this due to the misunderstanding. Here, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis, Hafizahullah, he says that the actions of the human beings, all of their actions, are the creation of Allah. All of the actions of the human being, or all the creatures, creatures in the universe, the actions are created by Allah. And this is as Allah, the mighty and the majestic, Azza wa Jalla, he says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Safat, chapter 37, verse 96, وَاللَّهُ خَلَقَكُمْ وَمَا تَعْمَلُونَ That Allah, He has created you, and He has also create, created what you do. Yani your actions, whatever you do, your deeds, Allah is the creator of you, and He is also the creator of your actions. This is a clear proof that Allah has created everything. Nothing exists in this creation, except that Allah created it. Whatever exists, the creatures, human or otherwise, the characteristics of the creatures, their actions, whatever. All of it is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to this ayah. But at the same time, the actions of the human being, since they are given will and power and ability to execute their will and knowledge to know right from wrong, they are accountable for what they do and therefore the actions of the human being from another perspective are called the kasb or the earnings yani, of their own hands. Yani what they have done, uh, the result of their actions is their own earnings. This is the correct opinion, yani, the combination of these uh, two aspects, as opposed to the deviation of those who said the human being has no will, and those who said the human being has absolute will. The correct opinion is the middle course, yani, the combination of the two aspects, that Allah for sure is the creator of the human being and their actions, and as well the human being is accountable for whatever they choose to do willingly. Uh, this is the correct opinion of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah in uh, contradiction to the opinion of the Jabariyyah, those people 
who denied that the creatures or the human beings have any will whatsoever. They deny that the human being has any will, but that the human being is just a creature that's forced to do yani, uh, whatever Allah wills without any choice on their behalf. And this is also in contradiction to the Mu'tazila, who in this matter of divine decree of Qadr and Qadha, they hold the opinion of the Qadariyah, yani, that the human being uh, has absolute will. They made the human being as a creator of his own evil actions. They said if the human being does anything evil, he's the creator of his actions and Allah has nothing to do with it. Allah doesn't will for him to do it and Allah uh, has no control over him doing it. Yani Allah's will doesn't come into play here but the human being has absolute control of whatever he does when he does evil. His evil actions are his own creation. So they made the human being as a creator besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these two opinions are two extremes. One who went to the uh, one extreme of you know the excess of giving the human being more power and authority than he actually has and the other one who went to the extreme of taking from the human being any authority or power or responsibility for his actions. While the correct opinion, the opinion of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is the middle position. Concerning this point, just briefly, it's uh, worth mentioning the saying or the explanation of uh, Sheikh Muhammad uh, Ibn Salih Uthaymeen in his explanation of the book of Imam Ibn Qudama, Lumatul Atiqad. In that book, concerning these matters, uh, Sheikh Uthaymeen, Hafidhullah, may Allah protect him and preserve him and cause يعني, much benefit to come to the Muslims from his knowledge and his efforts for the preservation of the deen and the correct aqidah. He says that how do we explain the apparent contradiction between the statement that the actions of the human being are a creation of Allah and at the same time they are the result of their own doings, يعني, their own earnings. He said what is well known is that the action of the human being is created is, crea- is created by Allah and at the same time they are the earnings of the person for which he will be accountable he will be rewarded or punished if he did good he will be rewarded and if he did evil he will be punished and how do we uh, reconcile between these two statements he said that the way we reconcile it is that the actions of the human being is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due for two reasons Number one, the action of the human being is from his sifat. It is from the characteristics of the human being, his actions. Just as his physical being is part of his characteristics, also his actions and behavior is part of his characteristics. Uh, And for this reason we say that uh, they are the creation of Allah. Because the human being as well as his characteristics are created by Allah. And this is proven by the ayat of the Quran that Allah is the creator of you and whatever you do. The second reason why we say that the actions of the human being are the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is because the action of the human being, uh, I mean the, the reason, this is why we say it's the creation of Allah and he says the reason why we say it's also, yani from the other side, it is the responsibility of the human being, his own earnings, is because his actions are a result of his will, yani that he has a will which from that will he wills to do something and then he tries to enact it. And he has also an ability or power, physical ability uh, to execute his will. If it wasn't for these two things, his will 
and his ability to execute his will, then he wouldn't be able to do anything. And since Allah is the creator of both of them, his will and his power, then Allah is the cause, the ultimate and primary cause of his actions. Allah is the ultimate and primary cause of the actions of the human being because Allah is the one who created his will, his ability to will, to desire to do something, and Allah is the one who created or gave, gave him the ability or the power to execute his will. In that way, from that side we say uh, that Allah is the creator of the actions of the human being from the perspective that he is the ultimate and primary cause of the actions of the human being. On the other hand, the human being actually, he actually in reality does those actions. For example, if the human being prays, he is actually performing the prayer himself. If he fasts, he is the one who is fasting. Allah is not fasting. But Allah is the cause or the one who gave him the ability to fast or to pray or to do otherwise. And so also if he does something evil, Allah gave him the ability to do it. And in that sense, Allah is the ultimate cause that allows him to do any action, whether good or bad. For this reason, since the human being in fact does perform the actions that he does, and he knows right from wrong, he is given the ability to choose uh, right from wrong, then he is responsible for his actions. So he is responsible while at the same time Allah is ultimately uh, the cause, the primary uh, cause of his actions. So this is the explanation that the Shaykh gave concerning this particular point. Also, Imam Tahawi says, point number 87, وَلَمْ يُكَلِّفْهُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى إِلَّا مَا يُطِيقُونَ that Allah, the Most High, has not required or charged the people with more than they have the ability to do. And Allah has not made us responsible, He has not ordered us, nor, he has, nor has He prohibited us to an extent to do things or to refrain from something that we don't have the ability to fulfill. Whatever Allah charges us with, we also have the ability to do it. وَلَا يُطِيقُونَ إِلَّا مَا كَلَّفَهُمْ then he says, nor do they, the human beings, have the ability to do more than what Allah has charged them with. Yani Allah has not charged us with anything more than we have the ability to do, nor do we have the ability to do any more than what He charged us with. And here on this point, Imam Ibn Abdul Iz criticized Imam Tahawi for this statement and clarified that what the obvious meaning or the apparent meaning of this statement is incorrect. Because for sure the human being has the ability to do more than what Allah required of us. If Allah required of us, for example, to fast in Ramadan 29 or 30 days, and there's no further requirement to fast the rest of the year, we don't have the ability to do more than that? Of course, we have the ability to do more. And we do more than that. We fast outside of Ramadan often uh, every month, sometimes every week or whatever. Allah requires of us, for example, to give 2.5% of our annual savings after all of our expenses if we have over a certain minimum. Does that mean that we don't have the ability to give more than 2.5%? For sure we have the ability to give more. But Allah of His mercy only required of us a minimum amount. Though we have the ability to do more. In any case, some of the scholars discussed this point and we will mention what they said about it. Remember how he says that Allah did not require of us anything more than we have the ability to do, nor do we have the ability to do any more than what He required of us. وَهُوَ tafsir, And this is the explanation of the saying لَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ 
يعني that there is no strength or power except with Allah or from Allah. This is the explanation of this of this saying. He said, نقوله لا حيلة لأحد. We say he is saying here in explanation of the meaning of لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. He say he said that we say there is no hila, there is no stratagem or device or trick or any yeah, any steps that the person can take. ولا حركة no any movement ولا تحول nor the ability to transform something from one place or one person to another. No one has the ability to do any of these things according to this statement uh, except عن معفية الله إلا بمعونة الله يعني that no one has the ability to uh, do anything to escape from disobedience to Allah. No one can escape from disobedience to Allah except by help or assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani no one has any power or ability to escape by any means, to get away from or to remove their self from disobedience to Allah or to remove the disobedience from them. Nobody has the ability to do so, to escape from this ma'asiyah or disobedience of Allah illa bima'unatillah except by help and assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the meaning of la hawla. Wala quwata, he said, the meaning of la quwata, that there is no strength or power for anyone to implement uh, or to, no one has the strength uh, that will enable him to implement or to act in accordance uh, with the obedience to Allah and to remain firm in that path of obedience to Allah except by the tawfiq or success and help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La quwata, there is no strength. Li ahadin for anyone ala iqamati ta'atillah for anyone to implement or to enact obedience to Allah. No one has the ability to do so. Nor as sabat alayha, nor to remain firm and steadfast and adhere to this obedience to Allah. Nobody can obey Allah, nor can they remain in obedience to Allah illa bi tawfiqillah except with success the help and support that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the meaning of la hawla wa la quwata illa billah according to Imam Tahawi rahimahullah. It means that no one has the ability to refrain from disobedience to Allah nor to uh, enact or to do the acts of obedience to Allah except by help from Allah, except by the power and the strength and the success that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis just repeats what Imam al-Tahawi says and he mentions in support of that yani the same ayah that Allah doesn't hold anyone responsible for more than they have the ability to bear or Allah doesn't have any, hold anyone responsible for anything outside of their ability or capability to implement or to fulfill. Here he says the taklif or the responsibility uh, if Allah called us to do something or charged us or held us responsible to do something this is a proof this is a proof that we have the ability to do it and if Allah ordered us for example to pray five times a day nobody can say that it's too much because the fact that Allah ordered us to do it is a proof that we have the ability Allah doesn't order us to do something we have no ability to do some people may say how can anyone fast for 29 or 30 days in Ramadan from dawn until sunset especially in the summertime uh, when the heat is very extreme and the days are very long and the nights are very short especially in some parts of the world how can anybody do so? it's not possible but we say that Allah does not charge us 
with any responsibility except that we have the ability to fulfill it and therefore the fact that Allah ordered us to do something or prohibited us from something is a proof that we have the ability to obey him in that matter uh, then he says and the, the people or the human beings are not uh, are not able to do any more than what Allah has required of us and he tries to explain that by saying that if they had the ability to do more than that then Allah would have, held, would have called them and made them responsible to do more but since Allah didn't make us responsible to do more then this is the proof that we don't have the ability to do more uh, Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Abdul ibn Baz Rahimahullah May Allah have mercy on him He said in his comment, in his brief comment concerning this point That the human beings don't have the ability to do any more than Allah made them responsible for He said this is not correct This statement is not correct But in fact Those people who are responsible to obey the commands of Allah Those who are sane, who reach the age of maturity and so on they are capable of doing more than what Allah has charged us with but Allah has been kind to us to his servants and he has made it easy upon them and he has not made any difficulty in the deen and this is out of his bounty and his kindness and his, and his goodness to us that Allah didn't uh, charge us to the, to the limit of our ability but he made things easy also Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani in commenting on this point says he explained it in a different way he explained the statement of Imam Tahawi in a way that made his statement uh, acceptable yani he said that perhaps what he means when he says that the people are not capable to do any more than what Allah has charged them with he said perhaps what he means by this is that the people are not capable of doing any more than what Allah has decreed for them yani than what Allah has already fixed for them to do but really this is not the meaning of his statement, but perhaps that may be behind it, it may be what, his, what he intended to say. Uh, that this ability uh, to do whatever a person does is the, is, the, is the tawfiq or is the success or help that comes from Allah. And perhaps this is what he means when he says the human beings cannot do any more than what Allah has charged them with. He means the human beings cannot do any more than what Allah has given them the tawfiq to do. And this is one possible explanation of the meaning of what Imam Tahawi means here but uh, Al-Imam Ibn Abdul Iz Rahimahullah who gave the comprehensive and expansive explanation of Aqeed al-Tahawiyah here Shaykh al-Bani quotes uh, Ibn Abdul Iz in his statement where he said that responsibility which Allah places on the people this word taklif uh, which he used in this statement لا يطيقون إلا ما كلفهم كلفهم يعني that which Allah made them responsible for or taklif he said this mean this, this word does not mean al-iqdar or what Allah has decreed for them this is not the meaning of taklif but actually uh, the meaning of taklif it means that which Allah has commanded and that which Allah has prohibited and this is the meaning that is understood clearly from the statement of Imam Tahawi when he said لا يكلفهم إلا ما يطيقون لا يكلفهم he does not make them responsible except what they have the ability to do ولا يطيقون إلا ما كلفهم and they don't have any ability more than what Allah has 
made them responsible to do. The word he used in both parts of the statement is the same and the meaning is not what Allah has decreed for them but the meaning of it is that they have no ability to do any more than what Allah has يعني, held them responsible to do. And this, the apparent meaning of this statement is incorrect. It is not correct. Uh, and in fact, Imam Ibn Abdul Iz said, as Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ibn Baz said after him, uh, he also said the same thing. He said that the human beings have the ability to do much more than what Allah has held them responsible for. But Allah willed ease for his servants and he wanted to reduce, to make takhfif, to reduce the amount of responsibility or burden on the people. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 185, That Allah wants ease for you. He does not want difficulty for you. So Allah didn't make us responsible to the extent of our ability because Allah wants ease for us. He does not want difficulty for us. And this is also يعني, is mentioned in another statement in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 28. يُرِيدُ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُخَفِّفَ عَنْكُمْ That Allah wants to reduce the amount of responsibility or burdens that He has placed on you. Allah wants to reduce it. He wants to make it يعني, uh, less than what you have the ability to do. And also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Hajj, chapter 22, verse 78, where He said, مِنْ حَرَجٍ That Allah has not made any uh, difficulty or hardship for you in the deen. Allah made the deen easy for us. He didn't make it hard. He didn't require us to do everything that we have the ability to do, but He intended to make ease for us. Uh, so if Allah had increased the responsibility that He gave to the people, they would have been able to do more. But Allah, out of His mercy and His bounty, uh, He reduced it and made it less for us, and He did not make any haraj or difficulty in our deen. Uh, and he says, closing, he says that perhaps يعني, the misunderstanding in this statement of Imam al-Tahawi can be explained as, uh, uh, as uh, Shaykh al-Albani said that perhaps we can say that what he must have meant here is that the human beings cannot do any more than uh, what Allah has given them the ability to do, meaning the tawfiq or the istita'ah that is with Allah at the time of doing the actions. يعني, that means what Allah has decreed. Yani, that the human beings cannot do anything more than what Allah has already decreed in the divine decree. If Allah decreed for the person to perform hajj, for example, uh, that tawfiq of actually implementing the hajj, this is from Allah. And even though the person may have all the other means, they may not perform the hajj unless Allah decreed for them hajj. This doesn't mean that we are not responsible for trying to do or to fulfill the commands of Allah uh, or to refrain from the prohibitions of Allah but it means that if a person has done everything within their human ability and they failed to complete any particular action or to fulfill any responsibility after making every effort then this means that Allah didn't decree for them to be able to do it and they are not held responsible for that because that type of ability is with Allah and Allah doesn't hold anyone responsible for it. Here Imam Tahawi says in point number 88 And yani that everything happens in accordance 
with the Mashiach, the will of Allah, the Most High. وَعِلْمِهِ and in accordance with his knowledge وَقَضَائِهِ and his qada, the execution of what he decreed and his qadr وَقَضْرِهِ يعني that which the divine decree or pre-measurement and the qadr and qada, if they are used together if they are used separately then they hold the same meaning but if they are used together then perhaps the correct uh, understanding of these two words is that qadr it means to fix or to measure something Allah Qadra Maqadir uh, He and he measured or fixed the extent of what would his creatures uh, the lifespan of his creatures and what would happen in their lifespan in this world uh, 50,000 years before he created the heavens and the earth so Allah fixed these things this is the Qadr the measurement of it and the Qadr is when Allah actually brings it into existence when he caused those things to happen this is the execution of that which he uh, decreed in the beginning, before he created the heavens and the earth. Uh, then Imam Tahawi says that nothing happens except that it is in accordance with the Mashiach of Allah, in accordance with his knowledge, yeah, and his previous knowledge of everything, and his qada and his qadr. And he says, غَلَبَتْ مَشِيَتُهُ الْمَشِيَاتِ كُلُّهَا يعني that the Mashiach or the will of Allah, it has overcome every other will of the creatures yani the will of everything in, in existence is superseded by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَغَلَبَ قَضَاؤُهُ الْحِيَرْ كُلُّهَا and also the qada of Allah yani Allah is executing whatever He has willed it also overcomes and supersedes every attempt by the human beings to do otherwise every stratagem that they may use or every attempt that they may attempt to do otherwise it will be overcome by what Allah yani, brings into existence or what He executes in the, uh, in the universe. And then He says, yani, to show the relation between the will of the human beings and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that His will is superior and superseding everything and everyone else, He says, يَفْعَلُوا مَا وَهُوَ غَيْرُ ظَالِمْ أَبَدًا Allah is the one who does whatever He wills and He is never a zalim. He is not an oppressor nor does He ever do anything unjust. Allah is never unjust. In some of the transcripts or copies of this book, it's not mentioned in the copy of Sheikh Abdulaziz bin Baz, rahimahullah, but it's mentioned in some of the other copies of Sheikh uh, Muhammad Nasuddin al-Adani and others. The statement of Imam al-Tahawi, قَدَّثَ أَن كُلِّ سُوء وَحَيْنِ وَتَنَزَّ أَن كُلِّ عِيبِ وَشَيْنِ That Allah, uh, He is highly exalted above being reached by any evil or destruction and yani Allah is above these things He is yani His perfection is beyond being reached by any evil or destruction and also uh, He is free from any defect or imperfection or fault Allah doesn't have any defect any shortcoming or fault and this is in reference to Allah's ruling in the universe and His actions that Allah is perfect and no fault or defect can be ascribed to him. He is perfect in whatever he does. When he does whatever he wills, it is perfect justice. Because Allah is just and Allah is perfect in his actions. And then he closes uh, with the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, verse 23, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la yus'alu amma yaf'al. That Allah is not questioned. He cannot be asked about what he does. Is it right or wrong or just or fair? Allah is not to be questioned about what he does. Because Allah is perfect perfect in his actions and his justice is perfect and there is no injustice in whatever he does 
وَهُمْ يُسْعَلُونَ But in fact it is the people who will be questioned about what they do. يعني on يوم القيامة the people will be called to account for their actions. But as for anyone or anything calling Allah to account, it, it, it is not uh, to be done. يعني Allah is just and fair and whatever He does, no one can question it. Here the Shaykh, uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Rahman al-Khumis, Allah says that everything uh, happens in, accord- in this universe happens in accordance with the will of Allah and in accordance with what Allah knew, the knowledge of Allah, that He, he knew everything that would happen before it happened. Everything happens in accordance with, with, with Allah's knowledge, the way He knew it to be, the way He fixed it to be, and the way He executed and caused it to happen. The Mashiach, or the will of Allah, overcomes and supersedes every other will of His creatures, and His will is executed, it is enacted, it is brought into effect. No matter how much, or how hard, or in what way, the people may try to escape from what Allah has decreed, they can never escape from it. It is not possible. But the, what Allah decreed, it will be executed and it will overcome every attempt or stratagem of the people or effort of the people to escape from it. Allah is the one who does whatever He wills and He is free of blame. He cannot be uh, accused. He cannot be charged with doing injustice. Whatever Allah does in His creation is just and it is fair perfectly. And everything uh, is by um, everything that Allah has decreed to be it is in fact perfect justice as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 40 uh, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 40 that Allah uh, doesn't do any just any injustice, even to the amount of a يعني, an atom, the weight of an atom. Allah does no injustice whatsoever. Uh, and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa taala in Surah Yunus, chapter ten, verse forty-four: Inna Allah la yazlim an nasa shay'an. That Allah doesn't do any injustice to the people at all, in no way whatsoever. Walakin an nasa and fusuhum yazlimun. But it is the people themselves who are unjust or who do injustice. Then he closes by yani, the closing statement of Imam Tahawi that Allah is free and far above and removed from any yani, from being yani, any uh, evil or injustice or defect or shortcoming being ascribed to him and that Allah is the one who is not questioned about what he does but it is the people who are questioned about what they do. Here, Imam Ibn Abdul Iz mentioned some commentary concerning this point of injustice, whether or not injustice can be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's a lengthy discussion, but let me just try to summarize it uh, and say that he mentions the fact that the Quran, in many ayats of the Quran, uh, there's the indication that Allah has, has removed himself from any description uh, of injustice to his creatures. Some of the people concerning injustice from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went to two extremes. There are those who said that if Allah does anything that would be considered unjust on the part of the human beings or would be considered evil on the part of the human beings, if Allah does such an action, then this is injustice and evil from Allah. And yani they compared Allah to the creatures, 
they said that if Allah does something like we do, then we ascribe to Him what we ascribe to ourselves. And this is wrong because Allah is not like the creatures. Allah is above the creatures. Allah is perfect in His knowledge and His power and His ability and His right to do whatever He wills. The other group went to another extreme and they said that Allah, it's not possible for Allah to inj- do injustice. Yani Allah doesn't have the ability to do injustice. If Allah wanted to do something that was unjust, He can't do it. They said He cannot do it. But Allah can do whatever He wills. Allah is capable to do whatever He wills. And the proof of this, the proof concerning the mistake of these people, He mentioned some of the ayats of the Qur'an, which show that if Allah willed to do injustice, He is capable and able to do whatever He wills. And from amongst those ayats that He mentioned, uh, is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Taha, chapter 20, verse 112 that whoever does any actions of righteousness while he is a believer then he has no fear of any injustice being done to him and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qaf chapter 50 verse 29 that what Allah has decreed or what Allah has said, it will not be changed. The important point in this ayah is what? وَمَا أَنَا لِلْعَبِيدِ And I am not unjust to the servants or his creatures. And also the same of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا ظَلَمْنَاهُمْ وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا هُمْ That we have not done injustice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not done injustice to the people, but they themselves are those who did injustice in Surah Zukhraf I, I think it's 46 maybe verse 76 uh, and also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Kaf chapter 18 verse 49 hadiran, and they found what they did present that is on Yawm Qiyamah they will find all their actions will be present and Allah doesn't do any injustice to anyone uh, and so on. So many ayahs that they mention concerning injustice, that Allah does not do injustice. Uh, and then he mentions the hadith of the Prophet wasallam or the hadith Qudsi that is narrated from the Prophet wasallam from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the saying of Allah, Ya ibadi inni haramtu al-zulm ala nafsi. O my servants, O my slaves, this is the saying of Allah himself saying, inni haramtu al-zulm ala nafsi, that I have made forbidden or haram on myself I have made it forbidden to do injustice Allah made it forbidden for himself to do justice and I have made it also forbidden amongst you amongst the creatures to do injustice to one another this hadith the shaykh says indicates two things the first one it indicates that Allah has
or incapable of doing that I make it forbidden for myself to do it. If you are incapable of doing, there is no need to say, I forbid myself from doing something that you don't have the ability to do originally. But the fact that Allah says that He made it forbidden on Himself is a proof that He has the ability to do it, but He forbid Himself from doing it. There is no benefit in forbidding Himself from something that He has no ability to do. So the first thing He says is this hadith indicates that Allah has forbidden for Himself injustice and this is a proof that Allah has the ability to do it, otherwise there is no need to describe Himself as such. The second uh, point that this hadith indicates, He says, that Allah indicates in this hadith, He informs us that He has forbidden on Himself injustice. Just as He informed us that He made obligatory in Himself a rahmah or mercy. In another hadith, the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa said that He made obligatory in Himself mercy. And He wrote upon Himself, or He described or prescribed or decreed for Himself to be merciful to His creatures. He said that this is. Yani a proof against the arguments of those who say that no one can do injustice except the one who, is, who has been prohibited from it. Yani they said that Allah, he, he is not capable of doing injustice because doing injustice means that somebody prohibited you from doing something and then you did it. But nobody can prohibit Allah, therefore he cannot do injustice. But in this hadith, Allah makes it clear that though nobody can prohibit him, but he prohibited himself. He made it haram on himself to do injustice. So he says here that just as Allah wrote or prescribed for himself to do, uh, to be merciful to his creatures, he also prohibited himself to do, uh, he prohibited himself to do injustice while he was capable of doing it. He was capable of doing it, but he only prohibited himself from doing it. Okay, there's one more point, perhaps we will just take it quickly, although it's an important point that requires some time, but at least we'll just make a brief comment on it, and maybe on another occasion we'll discuss it in more detail. Uh, the final point of Al-Imam Tahawi here in this section is point number 89. That there is some benefit in the dua supplication of the living on behalf of the dead. And if the living, if they supplicate for the dead, there is benefit for the dead in that. And also there is benefit for the dead in the sadaqat or the charity of the living. If the living give charity for the dead, the dead benefit from it. This is an issue of aqidah because it is a matter of the dead benefiting from something after their death. And the Prophet said that a person will not, their deeds will be cut off when they died except from three things. That is, uh, the charity that they left behind which is ongoing or knowledge that they left behind that people continue to benefit from or a righteous child that supplicates for them. Otherwise, when a human being dies, their deeds are cut off and there's no benefit coming to them. There's no benefit coming to them. Except if there's an exception. The general rule is that there's no benefit of the person after they died except if there's some specific actions that they might benefit from uh, that's prescribed or mentioned in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah. In any case, Imam Tahawi says that the dead benefit from the supplication of the living as well as from the charity of the living. The Shaykh al-Khumais says here 
that the dead benefit from the supplication of the living when they supplicate for them as mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the end of the hadith awwalad sali yad'u lahu yani that they that the deeds of the human beings cut off when they die except from three and one of them is a righteous child that supplicates for their parent after their death and they benefit from these things and one of them is supplication so here's the proof that the supplication of the living benefits the dead then he says also the dead benefit from the charity of the living if they give charity on behalf of the dead and this is so whether it is from their child or from other than their child Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani briefly comments on this and in other places he discussed it in detail where many of the earlier scholars also discussed it in brief he says here that Imam Ibn Abdul Iz rahimahullah mentions in his expansive com- commentary on Aqil al-Tahawiyya that there is agreement of the Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah on this point the benefiting of the dead from the actions of the living in supplication and in charity and then he mentions a number of hadith uh, and ayahs from the Qur'an and hadith from the Sunnah but in terms of those evidences that he mentioned in reference to sadaqah or charity he did not mention any evidence of the dead benefiting from the living except the parents benefiting from the charity of their children yani all of the evidences that he mentioned only prove that the charity of a child for their parents benefits them as for the charity of any person for a stranger other than their parents benefiting from them although he mentioned many hadith he didn't mention any hadith proving so Shaykh al-Bani means to say here that the correct opinion is that charity benefiting the dead is only from the charity of their children and there's a reason for this and there's a long discussion about it but I don't think that we'll have time to complete it anyway I'll mention some of the points from it anyway he goes on to say here that this claim that the living can give charity on behalf of the dead in general whether they are their children or not uh, is not proven by the evidences that the Shaykh has mentioned in his commentary and he said this I've discussed in detail in my book Ahkam al-Jana'iz the rulings or the laws related to funerals or funeral regulations and I just took yani, the copy of the pages from uh, Ahkam al-Jana'iz to quote something from what he said here uh, quickly and perhaps yani, this is a topic that really requires a lengthy discussion because there are many details to it but we'll just yani, try to quickly mention some of what he said here he said that the, be- the dead benefiting from the living is in a number of matters from amongst them is supplicating the supplication of a Muslim for a dead person and this is as long as in, in accordance with the conditions of supplication the second of them is that one the person who died someone of those who are their relatives who are responsible for them may fast another yani when that person before they died if they vowed to fast they made a vow that I will fast so many days if such and such and so and so then they died without completing it then it's permissible for their child or their relative or any person who is related to them or responsible for them it's permissible for them to fast those days for that person and he mentions the hadith concerning this including one hadith which seems to be general and then he mentions other hadith which show that it is specific to the fasting of a nazar, a vow a fast that a person vowed to do and not the obligatory fast of Ramadan it's not in reference to the obligatory fast of Ramadan and there are no hadith 
to prove so, that it's applicable to Ramadan. He also mentions the third thing that a person may, uh, the living may give benefit to the dead, is in fulfilling their debts or paying their debts, whether that person is related to them or otherwise, and he mentions a number of hadith proving so, that if someone died and they had debts, their relatives, as well as their friends or neighbors or anyone may pay their debts for them, it's permissible. The fourth thing is the actions of a righteous child. The good deeds that they do may also benefit their parents without their reward being diminished in any way. Yeah, and if the child who does a good deed, the parents benefit from that without the reward of the child being diminished in any way. And this is based on the uh, saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is a very, very important ayah and is the basic principle in this topic, in this issue. And that there is nothing, there is no benefit for the human being except what he himself strives for. And nobody should get any benefit in anything except that which they themselves do, that which they strive for. And this is in accordance, and this principle or this ayah, taking along with the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and Nasai and Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah and other books, and it is hadith that is Hassan. The saying of the Prophet ﷺ, إن أثيب ما أكل الرجل من كسبه Yani that the best of what a person may eat from is what he has earned and his own earnings. The best thing, the purest thing that you may eat from is what you have earned with your own hands, the, what you have worked for by your own effort. وَإِنَّ وَلَدَهُ مِنْ قَسْبِهِ And his child is from his earnings. Yani the children of any parent are part of their earnings. Yani it comes to their credit. Whatever their children have and whatever they do is also to their credit. So this hadith uh, is in agreement with the fact that a person will not have anything except what they earn for, except what they strive for, and part of what they have earned by their own striving or effort is the righteous actions of their children or the good deeds of their children, yani, due to the fact that they brought them into this world and they nourished them and they took care of them and they raised them and they taught them and they encouraged them to do good. If they did good after that, this is to the credit of the parents also. Of the other things that he mentions here, uh, the last thing that he mentions is whatever a person has left behind such as ongoing charity or anything else that the people benefit from after his death. Then the person also will benefit from those things as long as they exist. Uh, in the next few moments, I'll just quickly make some comments from this commentary which is very lengthy that's related to this topic. One of the things that he mentions here uh, is that The saying of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah in his book I'lam al-Muwaqqiyin concerning fasting, whether or not uh, a person may make up a fast that someone didn't fulfill while they were living. And some of the scholars said that you may do it if you are related to them or not. And some said no, you may not do it even if you are related to them or not. And some said يعني, that it's in between, that you may, uh, you may uh, fulfill the fast of a person that was a vow but not, but you may not fulfill the fast of a person that was from the obligatory fast. And here Ibn Qayyim says that the correct opinion is that a person may fulfill or fast for a dead person the fast that they didn't complete which was a vowed fast. But they may not fast for them the obligatory fast, yani the fast of Ramadan which they neglected if they neglected it without an excuse. 
And this is the statement or the opinion of Ibn Abbas and his companions and it is the correct opinion because the obligatory fasting is the same as the obligatory prayers. Uh, and just as no one may perform prayer for another person and no one may enter Islam for another person so also no one may fast for another person. As for the, the vow that a person made it is different. It is like a debt that they owe to Allah and their guardian or anyone from amongst their relatives who are responsible for them may make up or fulfill or pay that debt for them. And this is proven by hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Likewise, he said no one may fast for another person or give charity for another person if that person who didn't make hajj or who didn't pay the obligatory zakat, if they had no excuse for not doing it. If they, if they ab- abandoned the hajj or abandon charity without excuse, then no one may come after them after they died and then make hajj for them or pay their obligatory zakat. Uh, but if they had an excuse, for example, for not fasting, then their guardian may feed some poor people for the days that they abandon a fasting in Ramadan with a legitimate excuse. As for those who voluntarily neglected the obligations that Allah has placed on them, then they will not benefit from those who come after their death and try to fulfill the obligations that Allah made for them on their behalf while they in their own lifetime when they were able to do it they refused to do it without any legitimate excuse because these actions that Allah made obligatory on them was a trial and a test for them and they failed the test and it's not for somebody to come after them who Allah didn't place that responsibility on to fulfill the test for them. But the test of every person is on their self. Whoever failed the test in their lifetime, nobody can come after them and make up for it for them. And nobody can make tawbah for a person who didn't make tawbah when they were living. They committed sins and then after they died, somebody said, let me make tawbah for them. If they didn't do it while they were living, then no one can do it for them afterwards. And so also, the obligations, the primary obligations, if a person neglected them while they had the ability to do so, after they died, nobody can fulfill it for them. Also, he mentions here concerning sadaqah, the statement of Imam al-Shawkani in Nadal Alta, that the hadith concerning the matter of sadaqah, of the child for their parents after their death, show that if they, the child pays sadaqah for their parents after their death, that this would reach them. The reward for it would be given to their parents. Uh, but this is due to uh, the hadith which indicated, which, and which proved so, where the Prophet ﷺ encouraged it or allowed it. And these hadith are يعني, specialized, or they يعني, uh, sp- specify or are excluded from the general statement that a person will not have anything except that which they strive for. يعني, an exclusion or an exception to that is that a child may give charity on behalf of their parents after their death. And this is based on a number of hadith which he mentioned, so many of them. Uh, then he says, as for a person given charity, other than the child given charity for their parents, uh, then this comes under the general ruling of the Qur'an, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that no one will have except that which they strive for. And if anyone gives charity on behalf of a dead person other than their parents, it would not reach them and they would not be given credit for it. Unless somebody can bring a proof that uh, other than a person's child may give charity for them after their death and there is no proof for such. 
Uh, also, he mentions here yani another statement. This is the opinion of Imam al-Shawkani and other scholars who agree with him on that. Uh, he also said that concerning these matters of doing good deeds for the dead after their death, uh, which there is no proof for it in the text of Quran or in the Sunnah, he says that Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah says that the, it was not the practice of the early generation of the Muslims, the Sahaba or the Tabi'een, it was not their practice to pray voluntary prayers and then offer it to the dead, nor to fast, voluntary fast or make voluntary hajj or read Quran and then offer the reward for those actions as a gift to the dead Muslims who died before them. This was not the practice of the Sahaba or the Tabi'een or the early generations of the Muslims and therefore it is not proper that we should separate from the path of the early generations of the Muslims for verily that which they did is better, it is superior and it is more perfect and correct. And since we didn't find Sahaba doing so, who are we to say that it's proper for us to make some voluntary fast and say I will offer it, the reward to the dead? We didn't find them doing it, nor is there any proof from the Prophet ﷺ to do so. And finally, and he just I'll summarize the final statement that is important here. He said that this opinion that one can, can do voluntary deeds and offer it for those who have passed away, in general, except those things that are mentioned specifically in the Qur'an or Sunnah that are allowed, the general statement that anybody may do good deeds while they are living for those who had died, which they didn't do in their own lifetime, and they will get credit for it. He said that the effect of this uh, is very negative. We will find that as in this world, we will find some people who rely on the efforts of others. Instead of working, they rely on those, for example, their students or their followers, who will go out and work and give them money while they sit home and just live off the efforts and earnings of others. If a person knows that they don't have to work, that I have followers and people who will serve me and who do go out and work for me and give me what they have earned, then this will, this will encourage the person to be lazy and not do anything for themselves but rely on the efforts of others. And so also, if it was so that after a person dies, if they didn't do much good deeds, that their followers or their students or other people, whoever loves them or whatever, can do all the deeds for them that they didn't do in their lifetime and they will be given credit to it, then we will find many people who will not be fulfilling the obligations of Allah, nor the recommended or mustahab actions or other things of good deeds and obedience to Allah, because they know that there are those who would do it for them. Then we will find people neglecting the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and waiting for others to do it for them as we find today very very commonly practiced amongst some groups of Muslims particularly and not exclusively but particularly the Sufis we find the Sufi sheikhs and their leaders they don't do much of anything but they rely on their followers to do for them and they believe that after they die their followers will make sacrifices for them their followers will read Quran for them and offer the blessings to them or the reward for to them their followers will make hajj for them they will give charity for them they will do so many good deeds on their behalf as though Allah will give the credit for the actions of the living to those who, would, who died even though they didn't do those deeds in their own lifetime. And this is the summary of the topic uh, and perhaps on another occasion we may go through it thoroughly but the important thing is that the general rule is that a person is rewarded for what they themselves do and that when a person dies there is no benefit coming to them except from those things that are specifically mentioned in the Quran or in the Sunnah and from amongst those things are the, uh, the good deeds of one's children as well as any 
knowledge that one left behind that people continue to benefit from or the charity that one left behind that people continue to benefit from. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk If there are any corrections or any comments or questions concerning what we said uh, anything that may be unclear let us just take two or three minutes perhaps we can try to clarify anything that's unclear or answer any question or accept any correction. From the brothers is there any questions? Again, if a person, uh the, the general rule is that we cannot do voluntary deeds or other deeds and offer them to others who have passed away. The exception to it, the general exception to it is the children for their parents. Not husband for wife or brother for his brother or sister, but children for their parents. Unless there are some deeds which the Sharia has allowed that any Muslim may do in behalf of other Muslims, relatives or otherwise, such as supplication. It's permissible in the Sharia that a Muslim may supplicate for another person whether they are their relative or otherwise. And we may supplicate for the Muslims who are our relatives or who are not our relatives, who we know or who we do not know. Hajj and Umrah. Hajj may be performed on behalf of a person who died without having performed Hajj if that person had a legitimate excuse for not performing it. Yani if that person was unable to perform Hajj and therefore they died without performing it, then a person may do it on their behalf. But the person who had the ability to perform Hajj and they neglected it, they were negligent of the obligation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed on them and they didn't do it. Then they died. How can someone then do it for them? Because these obligations Allah has placed on us as a test for us. If the person doesn't do it, it means he failed the test. But if someone had a legitimate excuse and they failed to perform the Hajj for that reason, then inshallah it is acceptable. Uh, as mentioned in the hadith of Shubrama, a man who was performing Hajj and he was saying, La Baker, making Talbiya on behalf of someone named Shubrama. The Prophet asked him, Who is Shubrama? He said, It is his relative. One of his relatives. The Prophet asked him, Did you perform Hajj on behalf of your own self first? He said, No. He said, Then make Hajj for yourself first. That means that from this hadith we understand that if a person performed Hajj, the obligatory Hajj themselves, then they might perform Hajj for their relative who passed. But because the obligatory actions are obligatory on the person who is charged with it, it is allowed to do so for the person who didn't abandon it due to neglect. But they were unable. Such as the woman came to the Prophet ﷺ said that Hajj became obligatory on my father while he was an old man and not able to sit in the animal, a riding animal. He's not able to get on the animal. How can he go to Hajj? Can I make Hajj for him? The Prophet said, yes, you may make Hajj for him. This means that the person who is incapable of doing it, they are excused. That person you may make Hajj for them. But the person who is capable of doing it, then you cannot do so for them. They are required to do for themselves. And Allah knows best. Tayyip. 
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك يا أيها الذين آمنوا 